0: friends, welcome to our favorite place in this old little place that we've been living for a while. Where are we, baby?
1: We're in the atrium. We're in
0: the atrium. The atrium.
1: So many family talks and good times we've had here. This has been a great little space.
0: It's the hub of the wheel, to use Lao Tzu's phrase, you know? It's it's the the centerpiece where everything's kind of swirling around it. Now, the downside for you, dear listener, is that every once in a while, there might be an old World War II plane flying over. It seems like some of the rich people here in Orange (laughs) County... Uh, fly in and out of this little airport Mm -hmm. here, SNA, uh, the uh, John Wayne Santa Ana, you know, airport, because uh, they don't want to fly. Commercial. Yeah, during the pandemic. So I think we're getting fewer flights, but more of these little buzzy ones, Mm -hmm. you know, the Cessnas are going through too and so forth. So forgive us if you hear a little bit of ambient noise. And also a weird thing about our part of town is that they've tried to build this place out so you don't really know your neighbors. But now that everybody's stuck together, we know what music they listen to, <laughs> what kind of cuisine they're cooking for dinner. Whose
1: kids play drums. Yeah, we still don't know anybody's
0: <laughs> names, but we know, you know, are they into reggae or into death metal? You know, that sort of thing. So, well, what are we talking about today, baby?
1: We are talking, this is chapter eight, embrace your dark side for protect your noggin with Jesus. And
0: we're not talking about, We're not talking about Palpatine trying to get you no. to be evil. We're talking about something related to... You know, this, this concept that Carl Gustav Jung talks about, something we've talked about in the past, the shadow self, and being able to reckon with the reality of our own situation so that we don't get to be extra judgy mm-hmm. and so that we're not intolerable in that mm-hmm. regard, but also so that we can be a little bit better about coming to terms with the, the damage we might be doing to people. But before we get into all that, baby. We are yes. text. What are we looking at?
1: Yes, so we're going to be discussing uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It says, Don't judge so that you won't be judged yourself, for you will be condemned by the same condemnation you hand out, and the criteria you use to judge others will be used to judge you. So then, why are you fixated on the speck in your brother's eye, yet you don't seem to notice the plank in your own eye? Likewise, how on earth can you say, let me try and get that speck out of your eye? When, look at this, you've got a plank in your eye. Hypocrite. First pull the plank out of your own eye, and then you will be able to clearly see well enough to extract the speck from your brother's eye.
0: So this is our eighth chapter in the Protect Your Noggin with Jesus series, and really what this is doing is bringing us kind of like this funnel of all these things we've been talking about on this show. A lot of the stuff from season one, we'll we'll mention those, we'll link to it on the show notes at protectyournoggin.org. But basically what we're looking at here is a lot of the research coming to bear on this text that is funny, right? Jesus is trying to make this joke where... You know, you're, you're looking at somebody else's problems, but you've got this big plank in your own eye, and it's just so absurd, and you can't see it, and that's what makes it kind of funny, mm-hmm. but it's also sad. And this is kind of our main point for this particular uh, chapter in this, in this verse, is that we find ourselves in a world where Christians are known for two things. On the one hand, they're known for being incredibly judgmental.
1: Usually, yeah. <laughs>
0: On the other hand, they're known for being great hypocrites. That is, there are all of these scandals, all of these corruptions. Now, this isn't every Christian or every church worker, no. but the stuff in our society that we see is the loud, angry judgmentalism. Yeah. And the wickedness. That's what Christians are known for. And that's a pretty big
1: problem. Well, and you think about it, like even when you look at archetypes, right? There is definitely the archetype of the judgy church lady. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you think of the old... The older church lady, the one that is going to give you the evil eye when your kids might be acting up in some way that you know that she is not happy about, right? <laughs> or that that your teenagers, you know, are dressing a certain way, or that even you're dressing a certain way when you come to church, yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: But meanwhile, Jesus does the opposite. Jesus is saying what we should be doing as a as a as a as a people in this kingdom is that we should be less judgmental about the lives of outsiders, about the lives of people around us that are already, you know, arguably in a living hell, and more discerning about abusive behaviors in our own midst. This is also true with the Apostle Paul. Paul says at some point, don't worry about what the folks are doing out there, uh, but you make sure you don't have creepy behaviors going on, mm-hmm. because this needs to be, this community of the faithful needs to be a safe place. And so, for this, we we are going to spend a little bit of time looking at the importance, when we look at this, not of getting rid of discernment, like sometimes people look at this and say, don't be yeah. judgy. Therefore don't, don't ask any questions about abusive behaviors. No judgment is con- condemnation with contempt. That's how we always have been defining it. Judgment is condemnation with contempt and it, and it heaps on people's shame. And then on the other hand, when we look at discernment, discernment is a radical honesty about the facts with deep compassion, So it's an awareness of the facts, it's a recognition of the facts with compassion, and it identifies areas where we're guilty, Mm -hmm. but there's a difference as we're going to talk about between shame and guilt and and the way they're they're used, and we've talked about it before. And to do this, we don't want to be focusing on negative self-talk, the ways in which we, uh, in many cases in both Roman Catholic and Protestant circles I've noticed, Almost make a virtue out of heaping negativity on ourselves. You know, in, in the medieval Catholic world, they flagellated themselves, they whipped themselves. But in the Protestant context, we, you know, we go to a camp and we are really, really sorry for drinking, smoking, and cussing, and we cry, 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 and then God will forgive us because of that. And so um, in, instead of all that nonsense, we're going to look a little bit more at this idea that, that uh, Carl Gustav Jung talks about. The shadow self to be able to identify in a gracious setting for ourselves, the context of, of forgiveness and reconciliation, being able to look at ourselves and really get at those spots where we need to identify our own problems before we go really attacking others. So that's what we're, t- that's what we're going to be looking yeah. at here. Well, with this. I,
1: and I think part of it is, is it's tricky sometimes. Cause I don't want you to discount like this discussion too quickly because, Oh, I've heard that before and yeah. I realize we're not supposed to judge, but I think that there is some confusion where, you know, we know that we are supposed to forgive, you know, that, or we're told, you know, and then we know that we've received grace. We know that we've received forgiveness. We here you know, here it says, do not judge. But yet, you can't also allow all evil behavior to just continue. So, where where do you draw those lines? Where are the boundaries that you need to have? And how do you have a healthy church setting? How do you have a healthy, you know, inner life? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, if you know, it's, you feel like sometimes it can it can be tricky. It can be people confuse these things all the time, and so that they end up, um, you know, either. Saying too much, you're not saying enough, you know, and it it's just it's a it's a hard hard line to to walk if you don't fully you know tease out what all this means because I think it becomes pretty clear once we have you know we tease out the concept a little a little bit more deep.
0: It's central to the teachings of Jesus, and yet when misapplied, one of the worst things that the followers of Jesus do, yeah. right? This getting it, getting it wrong, getting the distinction between discernment and judgment wrong has horrific consequences.
1: Um, so the first part where it says, don't judge so that you won't be judged yourself, I think, and then it, and it continues actually, for you will be condemned by the same condemnation you hand out and the criteria that you use to judge others will be used To judge you. And I think that's the whole point is first of all, what's the scoreboard that we're creating here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that's part of it. We're going to go into a lot more detail, I think, in our next Protector Nogging with Jesus about that, but we'll touch on it just briefly here to say, are you living in a kingdom of where you have a ledger of everybody's sins and your own and and you know, and that we've got this? Or are you going to be gracious and are you going to be merciful? Right? And how do you how do you get to the point where you can be gracious and merciful? You, you've you been hurt, right? How do you get there? So I think that it's important uh, to, to recognize that when it mentions about the criteria, a couple things. One is you are going, if you're casting judgment on somebody else, I think you're revealing a lot about yourself because there are all kinds of things that people can point out and could care about. And would have a problem with. Mm-hmm. So why are you choosing this particular thing, thing to care about?
0: Yeah, friends, listen. If you go to one of those churches where the pastor gets to talk about whatever he or she, but usually he, wants to. And that guy constantly talks about how bad it is for the homosexuals to be running around America. And you're on your fifth week about how the gays are, are, uh, are destroying America. And that—that's why, say, you know, there's this uh, calamity going on—a hurricane or a, or a pandemic. Your pastor's probably gay. I mean, this is this is not—I didn't invent this idea. Most people people realize this. You you know, you kind of protest too much. You're constantly talking about it. On the flip side, let's like give you another example. Um, I have never met a super hot person that was critical of other people's bodies and clothes. Yeah. I mean, in in a deep sense, a, a person who was in the best sense, attractive men or women. Mm-hmm. I've never met an attractive person who, who had to tell other people that they weren't hot. Right. And so, friends, if you ever have somebody that's kind of picking on you or bullying you, you always have to... I mean, this sounds like your mom saying, hey, well, they, those aren't real good friends. Yeah, that's true. It's also that the judgment that they're applying to you is exactly what they wake up with in the morning. That doesn't make it nicer. I don't enjoy it. I don't even want to be around those people. But but it's pretty safe to assume that if somebody's looking at your shoes and, and putting down your shoes, they wake up in the morning and they are just beating themselves up in the mirror.
1: Mm-hmm. And we have touched on some of those things. And if you want to actually hear a fuller discussion on the topic of discernment versus judgment, um, take a look at our season one, episode two, because that's where we'll teach. We te- tease that out and full, a lot in full length, yes. <laughs> but and I, I just bringing this up as again is just a reminder because you know when whatever is going on in our heads, whatever we're you know bouncing around is is what ends up coming out of our mouth, and it, mm-hmm. it's important to know when you do feel something irking at you. Um, you know, as part of that's part of what we're saying about embracing the dark side. You need to kind of take a look at and take some inventory of what is it and you know why am I bothered by this Um, and if you can do the inner work of what that is then you'll be able to get past I think the what what it is that you want to be judge judgy about on that and the reason that that works by the way is if if you recognize something in yourself and you're able to work through that Mm -hmm. then then you see, when you see somebody else doing that, you know what that is. You know what that looks like. You know what that feels
0: Takes like. Takes one to know <laughs> one, as they say.
1: Yes. And when you are able to recognize that, that's when you're able to have compassion on somebody else because they, you know what it feels like. You've been there.
0: Well, I'll say it's the starting point to compassion. On the show where we talked about our shadow selves, I was mentioning how much I, I had negative feelings about Justin Bieber. hmm and um it, but it wasn't because I have anything against Justin Bieber, but he reminded me of me when I was young and I was embarrassed about it. Right. And I noticed why he was doing these things that were unfortunate. And and so you it's the it's the doorway it is to the compassion. Doorway.
1: It is the doorway.
0: To be able to recognize what's going on. Right. It is, or at least it at least it gets out it gets away from this impediment where we're always Allowing ourselves to scapegoat. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something that, um, that, if, if I may, kind of surprised me about something. When I was in my 20s, I worked for a, a conservative evangelical nonprofit. And it was because I had some language skills and I was doing some translation work. But it was a missionary organization. And at some point during the, uh, the course of time I was there, the... Um, <laughs> the upper floor of the administrators, the, the executives, there were a bunch of affairs between the men and women on that floor. And it was a big scandal that was threatening to really kind of harm the, the, the well-being of the whole organization. And they needed to figure out, well, what was wrong? And so they turned to judgment, right? So wh- whose is it women wearing clothes that are inappropriate – you see how that worked? Mm-hmm. Somebody did something wrong. Physic, they, they, they were guilty of doing something wrong, but they threw it on somebody else for what they were wearing. But then when that didn't really stick, then it was, it, and this was the end of the, of the story, is that they ended up saying, well, no, it's actually all of these, these demon-possessed objects that people have been bringing back from the mission field, right? Mm-hmm. So you bring back a little statue from China or a little mask from Africa. You're bringing back these ancestral spirits and they're uh, causing people to sin. Meanwhile... As they're playing this game of judgment, no one's really getting at the sickness that caused this in the first place.
1: Right. You know, I want to mention really quick because I've done a <laughs> I've done a lot of listening just this last week to uh, Brene Brown. So Brene Brown clearly defines uh, shame as "I am bad," and guilt is "I did something bad." Mm-hmm. So guilt is "I have you know a bad behavior." the shame is you're kind of owning and that that whatever that bad thing that it, you know that you did is actually who you are. And there's a difference there because I think if you if you can't change who you are then you you can't really get past shame. Yeah. You have to live with it. Right. right. But guilt allows you to say I I I did this bad behavior and I, you know, I do bad behaviors but that doesn't define who I am. In fact, the next time I come from running with the situation, I can respond in a completely different way now that I've learned what not to do (laughs) essentially, Mm -hmm. right? Mm
0: -hmm. We're going to, we're going to let this one flow. That one is a World War II bomber. Wow. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they just like that's all we got left.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's in the interesting. Air Force? No, well, no. well, in May usually is always when they around here in this area they do um, a lot of like uh, the air shows and things. Yeah.
0: I mean not obviously now. Yeah, no, because
1: <laughs> they're not having people gather. Yeah. But it's where yeah. they have like the shows where you can go and see the old planes. Right. So it's kinda right. interesting. I'm used to this time of year right. seeing the right. old older planes. But, but I don't know
0: where they're going. Yeah. People just probably, you know, hey, well, I can't go talk to people and, and maybe, maybe I should get up in the sky where there's no.
1: Well, and maybe it needs to get ran every once in a while. Yeah, like your motorcycle, right? Yeah. You gotta, yeah, gotta, you gotta keep one. it moving. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Who knows? But maybe it's just the time of year they do it. But back to um, with so shame when 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 you own the shame, and you now incorporate it and you think that that's who you are, then you really can't help but give up and not even try to respond differently or try not to hurt people maybe how you did because you that's what you do, yeah. right? And I, I don't think we're... St- i don't I don't think we're stuck I think we can we can learn from our behaviors
0: let me say not even in a in a in a christian context of what we call augustinianism uh, calvinists lutherans, people who believe that um that we are you know like v- infected by sin mind will and emotions every part of us that may that is also true you could say that's true, and i think it's it's not just a theological question it's a social scientific question i mean how much freedom do we have it's i forgot I forgot who was asking this it was you know as I was falling asleep, maybe it was a twilight zone or something you Do you want to say that you can 't control what you 're doing and therefore you 're innocent <laughs> or are you free and a monster like you right. don 't have like you 're either a robot who 's right. unfree and therefore innocent or you 're free and a monster. Neither of these are really pleasant you know right. options so it, but even there but, so for, for, the, for the for the most hardcore what we call Augustinian, who believes in total depravity and the idea that we don't have free will, that we can't change ourselves, even there, all of of the followers of Jesus have at least officially said that at our core, we are not evil, at our core. Right. That that who we are at our core is from God, Right. right? Like, we have this heavenly origin,
1: well and and that unfortunately is what does get so like your students come to you year after year right and and they think that they are somehow disgusting and bad to behold they yeah. just they this like that they're just they're they're evil right and that
0: and they think this is important for them if they don't feel that way if they don't beat themselves up like that then then God will be kind of unimpressed because
1: they're not sorry enough yeah if, if they didn't beat right. themselves up enough right right,
0: right. <laughs> I want to see that you really mean it how sorry you are and so therefore I'm going to forgive you for tormenting yourself that's kind of what we do it's got to <laughs> yeah. come out somewhere but this. you think
1: about it it's interesting that um, we can sometimes you know float that around in our churches that that there is no changing of any kind of behavior when yet we raise our children with trying to change their behavior all the time we say no all this, is, yeah, this is this is not you know even our own our pets no this is not not acceptable we're not going to put up with this you know and and this is this is how you should you know how you should behave right mm. we do that all the time yeah. so and and i think as children we do learn from our um mistakes, you know, but sometimes it takes us making it several times. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we're in our
0: forties. We're getting there.
1: <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. But if but, there's
0: no point, if there's no, if there's no point in paying attention to it, then like, then, then why do we do about any, what do we care about anything? Right. Right. I mean, keep your elbow up. You know, you struck out. Well, what was wrong with your swing? I mean, look, if it was going to give up, <laughs> Yeah, that's the, that I'll take that from the Roman Catholics, the sin of sloth. Right. Where you despair of, of, of just anything, meaningful being changed.
1: Yeah. So, and because I mentioned about Benet Brown, what you had, we had talked about how um, being able to do the inner work of looking inside ourselves. And I mentioned how the, that when you've done that, then that's when you can have compassion. You said it was a doorway, right? Mm -hmm. In her research, she clearly states that when she's gone through and looked at all thousands and thousands of interviews and Pieces of you know uh information that she has, and of all of her research and there's one common denominator well there's there's the main common denominator of what she found with people that have compassion and do you know what that is
0: self assuredness i <laughs>
1: they had boundaries
0: okay that's what she yeah, found that's out. good
1: they have boundaries and and I think so here's the thing with the boundaries and the reason why this is important the boundaries are going to say. I'm not going to let you tell me that I'm shameful. Okay. I am not who you say I am. I am who I am. Right. I. I will. I can commit. Or I did a bit, maybe a bad behavior, and I'm guilty. But in, when you don't own that with the shame, if you have a boundary and saying, "Oh, okay," I recognize that this was a, a poor behavior. I need. You know. I'm sorry and I you know, won't do it again, or you know, that kind of thing.
0: I see where you're going with this. You it's, don't it's, let it's, other yeah. people...
1: They, you, your insecurity makes it so you don't have boundaries.
0: This is like the marriage and divorce specialist John Gottman when he talks about defensiveness. One yes. of the worst things he says for a couple is defensiveness, because then you can't get better. You can't deal with the guilt, because all you're dealing with is is pushing the shame onto the other person.
1: And the reason with the defensiveness is, again, because you have shame, and you can't own, you don't want to own that shame, so you want to say it didn't happen, or you want to, you want to, you know... That's not so. That's not who I am. So you don't right. know how to do it other than to be defensive.
0: Yeah. And nothing gets fixed.
1: Nothing gets fixed. Mm-hmm. And it's just a blame game.
0: So ironically, in Latin, I'm sorry, in theological terms, you know, the law and gospel concept that we've flirted around a couple times, and, and I, at some point we're really going to need to define it well, is, it works, which is, you know, just just throwing judgment on people doesn't necessarily help them to get better. It's no. in the context of grace, in the context of reconciling love and unconditional love, that we can come to terms with those boundaries and say, I don't think you're a bad person. I don't hate you. I don't think you're evil, but I can't put up with this anymore. Yes, And the only times that we've ever been able to be healthy in our lives have been when we've been able to do that, whether it's between us Mm -hmm. or with us and other people. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's hard.
1: Yes. This is a boundary you're not going to cross. This is a behavior I will not tolerate. And if you're able to do that, then you can, the couple things. One is, um, if you think about it, think of um, somebody that has an addiction, right? Right. You judge them for their addiction. What do they do? You're
0: bum, you're drunk, you're wino. <laughs> what do they do? They go mm-hmm.
1: back, they go get deeper into the booze, mm-hmm. right? Or they turn go to the drugs. You think that
0: yourself, yeah. you know? It's yeah. like, I'm just a, uh, that's who I am. I'm a wino.
1: Whatever it is.
0: Is wino used anymore? I don't
1: think <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, but... So think about it, your judgment will just drive somebody even deeper into their, you know, whether it's their sin or their addiction or whatever this behavior is, if they're using it to cope, okay? If Mm -hmm. whatever it is, is a sign of their unhealthiness, right? And you call them out on it, they're going to get unhealthier until the point maybe they hit rock bottom and they uh, can't cope anymore and they decide to do something about it.
0: Do you know the number of times you've looked over me if I was pouring an extra glass of whiskey and scowled? That it helped me not to have another glass of whiskey. <laughs> the no. answer is zero times, <laughs> no. right? Like, I was just thinking about that, right? Like, the only reason hey, I, I haven't that. had.
1: I learned that from my mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I well, right. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's a no, thing that yeah. happens, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, we, and we're trying, we're, we're like, hey, we want, we it want drives you to be you deeper, healthy. Right? We you want to be healthy. You I want to be healthy.
1: Right. So you now, know? if for some reason, say, your drinking is getting out of hand, and I say, "I'm," there's a boundary that I have.
0: Mm hmm. I can't have I, this.
1: I can't have this. You can't I can't drive
0: the kids this way. You can't. I can't have this to, behavior. Yeah, right.
1: So that I I can have compassion on your situation and realize that you you're hurting because you're obviously medicating in some mm. you know unhealthy way for something that you know for problems or whatever that you can't confront right. Mm-hmm. Um. So I can I can look at that and realize your own sickness right without like having it be. Ew, you know, right. like that's a that's a sad situation that right. you're in. But you know, that's not something to gloat over. That's not something you know to. And you, do you know what I mean? To rub right. it into somebody's right. nose. Now, when I draw that line, you either you know flee and run away and keep going into your you know your hole, mm. or maybe that's where you finally can confront it and say, you know what, you're right.
0: Mm. But it, but in no case it. feeling crappy about myself for having had too much. Is, Me judging yeah, you
1: is not going to bring any no, healing. It's no. only going to drive you deeper into that hole.
0: And for religious people, this is, you know, this is the case for our purpose of healing the world, right? Mean- like, I mean, if you're trying to heal the world, if you're trying to bring positivity and goodness and transformation to the world, if all we're doing is holding signs, telling people that they're uh, hated, mm-hmm. for yeah. instance, that's that doesn't do anybody any good whatsoever.
1: Right. And when... When you can look at other people with compassion instead of that judgment,
0: mm-hmm. your
1: love and your kindness will show through, I think. And, and I think even though you might take it as judgment, perhaps, because it's possible. Sometimes people do, and that's usually when they don't. But if they if they realize that you're not coming from a place of judgment or eventually they'll come to terms with it and see it when you aren't, um, you know, because they can twist your words all over the place, right? Um, but you don't have to also own that it's judgment if that's not where it's coming from in your heart as well, <laughs> right? But what I'm trying to say is that they will be able eventually, if they, once they see that it's compassion, they see that love and that kindness, and they'll eventually be drawn to that. This person actually cared about me. This person, you know, noticed when I was hurting.
0: You're saying that sometimes... Even just being kind or 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 setting those boundaries, sometimes people can say, "Oh, you're judging me." Is mm-hmm. that what you're saying? Sometimes yeah, that happens a lot, right? Like where just, yeah, people beware. that people that are judgy feel judged all the time, right? And so it is possible that you could they say, can misinterpret, yeah,
1: but yeah. yet you don't have to own the yeah. shame that they're putting on you of right. the judgment when you know that's not the place that you're coming from right. in your own heart, right? Mm-hmm. So again, that boundary is important. Mm-hmm. So. One of the things I'd like to discuss is how we talk in, in the chapter about secular hell. And you did a talk on this uh, with Mockingbird Conferences in New York uh, about a year ago, actually. That's mm-hmm. interesting.
0: <laughs> exactly a year ago. <laughs>
1: yeah, that we can link to in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But would you kind of briefly uh, describe what, what that was, what, what you're saying there was secular hell?
0: Well, of course, I mean, the, the theme that year was... Partly related to Dave Zoll's book Seculosity, where people are constantly on this treadmill of judgment, but in a non-religious sense, right? It could be: Are you eating, you know, organic food? Do you have ethically sourced, you know, cotton for your shirt? Whatever it is, and so he's dealing with it, and 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 a very interesting book because he's saying. You, you can't escape this judgmentalism. You, you could you could just say that the Christians are doing it, but everybody's doing it. We're all living in this kind of outrage culture. And the thing about secular hell, to cut to the chase, uh, as I was thinking about it, is the idea that, that secular hell, you can't get out of it ever, right? And because of this... Um, And what I mean by secular hell, it's this place that you get put into in society if you're especially a public intellectual or a public uh, comedian or, or an actor, you get canceled. And so if you do something of a certain level of badness, you can be exiled from society. And we don't know what happened to you. We don't, like, what's Kramer doing from friends after his, his, well, his uh, racist rant? And
1: sometimes it's worse that when people see them in public, I mean, they get shamed and just yeah, I mean, like know, untouchables.
0: Like, and by the way, for some of these people, like, you know, and good, what I really think is fascinating about the phenomenon of secular hell. Is this idea that nobody can admit that they did anything wrong? Because mm. if you admit you did something wrong, then you have to go to the hell. So you know, I, I talk about Ralph Northam, who is this this governor who who was in a yearbook photo with blackface, or maybe it wasn't blackface. Maybe he was dressed up as a KKK guy. So I don't know which one's better, but either way, it's not for a Democrat to right. do, right? Like, I mean, that's not going to well, get I you think, any points.
1: And, and and the idea was he first denied it and then he said, oh, well, I might be this other guy instead. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It didn't really help you to, to, to switch it. Right. But I think he was just trying to cover up the denial in the first place. But right? you,
0: but like in every sane universe of healing, Starting with honesty is the beginning of the healing. Right, I am an alcoholic is the beginning of a person coming into AA and getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, coming to terms with a relationship that's gone. You know, in a you know bad direction. Coming to terms with what you brought to that that relationship dynamic is the beginning of it. But for public figures, for celebrities, you have to start by saying, no, it didn't happen. denial,
1: denial, denial. You have to deny it. I mean, I'm not saying
0: you should, I'm just saying you have to, if you don't want to go to secular hell, because, and here's the thing, I just, just want to look just at Ralph Northam. If he said that I was a racist in college, then he would have to go to secular hell and you can't get out of it. You're just canceled forever. Um, If he thought that, then he would have to hate himself Mm. forever and ever because that's who he was. And as long as that's our reality, as bad as the racism is, that's not a healthy place to be because then that just puts everything into the the corners and the shadows and the closets and under the bed and under the rug. All the creepiness hides out because it's not able to just confront its own reality. That's What we're talking about here.
1: Right. Because you don't want to be ostracized.
0: Yeah. And so what if we said I mean and 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 the church could lead the way on this. So so my point at the at the conference was what if the the people who followed Jesus were better known, or we were the ones known as those who were were just just unflinching about accepting when we had screwed up. Mm -hmm. Our leaders. Our, our understanding culturally, our place within society, whatever it is, right? If we could do that, then we would be a beacon for the world and I think we would get a lot more trust. And, and now I want to make also very clear, especially for Protect Your Noggin, you know, our, our mission, our theme, there are certain things that you could do that disqualify you from certain things. For instance, if you're a doctor and you tell an employer about somebody's uh health condition.
1: Yeah, that's not acceptable. You
0: should never be able to be a doctor cuz now I'm not going to go to you. Nobody if can you're trust a lawyer you. and mm-hmm. you don't keep confidence, if you're a pastor and you, you and I confess my sins to you and you start gossiping about me, yeah. you need to be done for in basically that, forever in that role. In that role yes for functional reasons. But what the with society wants to do is make you be done with for everything, everything yeah. right?
1: So like as if you're not worthy of living anymore. Right, right? So like you can't make a living, you yeah. can't you can't do anything. <laughs> no, right. Like we just really, want Yeah, I mean and, and that's the there problem. There are certain there are certain roles and there's certain positions right. that require a, a certain level of You know integrity or track record
0: and trust. Right. If you've embezzled, you don't get to be the treasurer (laughs) for the church.
1: (laughs) No, and we don't just be silly. It would be silly for you to Mm -hmm. put yourself in that Mm -hmm. position. And that's what discernment says. Mm -hmm. Discernment says. Discernment says that yeah, no, the guy that can't figure out his finances, shouldn't be in charge of the church finances. Yep.
0: Okay, so if we got that part down, then we'll say, yes, these are things that are, that may be like a life, a, a life condition where you're never able to go back to that. But there's a lot of things. I can't be a pianist. Right. I can't be a gymnast, right? Like those, those ships have sailed, right? Now,
1: there is value of somebody saying, yeah, I messed up. I shouldn't right. be in charge of the church finances. Right. but. I don't know. I'm pretty good at at, at teaching surfing. <laughs> and i and I'm <laughs> you know? right, exactly.
0: Or and, and I will say, I mean, I don't, you know, could it, I don't even care about like hard and fast rules. I think those aren't usually very helpful. There may be situations where somebody is so willing, and this is the key too. It's possible that somebody's so willing to understand what went wrong with their gossip as a pastor. Mm-hmm that they could become very helpful to other pastors and not making that mistake or a lawyer who is going to lecture to other lawyers or to help other lawyers figure out what to do when you've got a client who you know is guilty and you feel these pangs of conscience and you, you, you have a professional obligation and then you've got a moral. Those are great things. There's always redemption, but the redemption is going to look different in different ways. But the problem is in secular society, this is like this kind of neutral modern society By not giving anybody any opportunities to be redeemed at all, this actually makes the problem worse.
1: Right, because you have nothing to do, but again, like we said, deny, because otherwise there's no coming back.
0: And this leads us to always being in these situations, and we'll talk about this next chapter when we talk about forgiveness, this leads us into these situations where nothing really moves forward because no one's willing to admit that they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Because admitting you're wrong means you're damned forever, and that's not about that's not a world of forgiveness,
1: and that's not the world reconciliation. that Jesus taught. That, no. and that's the the be careful what metric, what criteria yes. you're using, right?
0: Yeah, if you're if you're living in a world where if somebody does something wrong, they get thrown out altogether forever and ever, then you're damned too. Yeah. It's almost always going to be that, and we'll look at that next time. But the point is, and this is the key for for religious people, most old people think that I, I mean, I say most old people, a lot of the time when I go speak to congregations or something where I'm dealing with a lot of older folks that are wondering what happened to the kids, their thought is that the kids aren't coming to church because they're naughty and they don't want to give up their naughtiness. And what they need to hear If you're in this situation, friend, this is what you need to hear. The kids are sometimes, and I would argue most of the time in my personal experience, the reason they don't want to go to church isn't because they're unwilling to clean up their act. It's that they think that the church is unwilling to clean up its act. They think that the church is the bad guys. Not as bad as joining the KKK, but close in some cases Mm -hmm. to be identified as a Christian without some serious qualifications.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because I've even noticed, so, you know, in Facebook, I I have a Facebook Mm -hmm. account, and and I have, you know, all sorts of friends that are from, say, high school that were, you know, just my non-Christian friends. I have friends that were also my Christian friends during the time of high school. Some of them, you know, most of them actually aren't really going to church anymore. Some of them are, but not all of them. Most of them aren't. And then, then I have you know some of our you know church friends now, right? And I notice that when I am posting something related to Jesus, <laughs> that
0: crickets, uh,
1: yeah, usually. And it's even my Christian friends; they sometimes they you know they kind of they do they do Sunday they you know they do God on Maybe, Sunday, yeah. and they don't really want it in their social media,
0: right. A you lot know? of times I don't, right? I don't right? Like I get you know? it. So we're we're sitting here talking about how like well, I protect certainly... your naga with Jesus, and we're doing it in this way that that we're we're kind of poking back at some people that come in the name of Jesus. But even just with that, even for people that wouldn't admit it like publicly, people are tired. Christians have kind of outworn their welcome.
1: Oftentimes, that's in what we're hearing society. from our kids' friends, from, from our the kids. college students, yeah, from our kids themselves. <laughs> yeah, from our kids. Yes,
0: and it's like, hey, like they don't mind some of these these wisdom traditions and the in the and the themes of scripture, but they don't want to really deal with this club.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, and again, is there a way forward? You know, I think that the first step is to realize that the harm that church has done.
0: You yep. know, and churches need to realize this if they want to do anything of use in the future. Yeah. Right. right. And we don't want to. That's very, very hard. That's a that's a bitter pill for us to swallow.
1: Right. And I and I think though, if unfortunately, if we aren't willing to go there, then we will always be perceived as the hypocrites. Mm -hmm. That.
0: Mm and Jesus we will in fact about. be the hypocrites. Yes. yes. <laughs> because we haven't confronted our shadow selves. Right. We haven't confronted our individual shadow selves nor our collective. Right.
1: Guilt. And and I would say before you go rushing wanting to go fix everything that's wrong with your church and have your church <laughs> make a statement of something or whatever, um definitely you've got to look at inside first. Do that whole process with your own self. You know what areas do you need to admit that you have you know failed on that you have wronged people with that you you know that you struggle with right are
0: you saying we should be careful before we judge the judges yes this is a particular problem for Stacy and I okay we're like <laughs> hey they're judgy mcjudgeville uh you know um I'm going to judge you for being judgy it is a in an interesting paradox yeah it's still worth doing you can discern judgy right you can call it out but it is it is a problem and it it's a problem because it also fails to allow us to be effective um in that You know, a lot of the time, I remember when I was young as an academic the way that you felt good about what you were doing is you were tearing stuff down. Yeah, you that's could do true, it yeah. as a conservative or a liberal. You could do it in any de- it's department. It's way
1: harder to build something up mm-hmm. than it is to tear something down.
0: Yeah, and we see things and we're scared and we're worried that we're not good enough, and so we just start poking at stuff. We poke at the uh, university administration. We poke at the government. We poke at outsiders. We poke at insiders. We poke at other departments. We poke at the person in the office next to us. Also, and all that you're left with is you. Yeah, exactly. Judging yourself in your own lonely little space. Well
1: and you know, eventually too, when you keep calling out all these different people, all those people you've called out, they're looking right back at you, saying yeah. they know, they know that it's been you. That yeah. you know, when when all of a sudden, you know, you're in a room and you've lost everything. Every single one of your friends.
0: Yeah.
1: And you think that they all, um, you know, they're all terrible people because... they don't like your hair color. Um, <laughs> I think it's different than that. <laughs>
0: See, it's not really about your hair color because there's a lot of people that do goofy things. But if they're genuinely loving, compassionate people, a lot of times people get a pass. That said, there's a lot of stuff that we're doing that we are hiding from ourselves, yeah. and that's where Carl Gustav Jung comes in handy. And for that, you're just going to have to go to our previous long, uh, in-depth episode on this. But if you're using the Bible study, if you're using the Protector Your Noggin with Jesus Bible study, we include. Our exercises in many ways, this whole project came out of these exercises that we were toying with mm-hmm. with uh, Jung, where we have f- basically four questions we won 't go over them or, over them now, but uh, four questions just it 's kind of a fun party game where you you look at characters in movies and you see what reaction you get. What makes you pissed off? Mm -hmm. What makes you envious? And those things help you to understand something about your shadow self. And your shadow self for Jung isn't necessarily demonic, but it's the part of you that you just can't confront. It's just behind you. So every time you move, it's out of your view. It's in your absolute blind spot. And this is affecting so much of your life.
1: Yeah. And if you want... To see our answers to those questions, that, again, is on yep. season one, episode three, where that one is called Shame, Guilt, and Shadow Self. But again, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll connect to that in our show notes, mm-hmm. as well as the other shows that we've, you know, and the subjects that they relate to that we've expanded on further in other podcasts. I think, is it time for questions here? Let's do some questions. <laughs> Let's just,
0: and of course, we've got, we've got a handful of questions. We actually, for this chapter, if you're going through this with us and you're looking, uh, you know, at the at the book chapter, we actually recommend if you're doing this with somebody else that you start with the four questions that are related to celebrities that you're either liking or not liking. Mm -hmm. Okay. That that's in the, in the chapter. But if you run out of energy on that, or if you've already done that and you want to now go into these other questions, we also, for you, fine friends, we have extra Bonus questions. Yes. So. Give me one.
1: I'll give you one. Is your religious community, if you're associated with one, afraid of you becoming enlightened? If so, does that seem odd to you? Why or why not? And what is their definition of enlightenment?
0: I won't pick on my own Lutheran community other than to say in a broader sense, my entire experience in American Protestantism has been one where we were wary of the, the, pentecostals and the charismatics and so i've always been when we met we were at a church that was kind of um it was founded by somebody who went to princeton seminary and they were a little bit more conservative than princeton seminary but they were still not having the holy roller stuff Mm -hmm. and most of it therefore was cognitive and I'm a guy who loves the cognitive. I'm interested in philosophy and history and and all of these ideas. And so, uh, never really bothered me until more recently, as I realized that I had missed out on some of a sane mysticism. A sane mysticism introduced to me by uh, Kazu Kitamori, the Japanese Lutheran theologian, by um, by even the uh, the strand of mysticism within within the Lutheran tradition, and. Uh, By mysticism, we'll have to talk about that some other time. Um, We don't mean magic. We don't mean getting some special prophecy from God that we're going to tell you, you know, like I'm the new David that's going to take over Syracuse and, and start a revolution. That's what we sometimes will say. That's what a mystic is. No, a mystic is somebody who recognizes their connectedness to all other people, to God and to the earth, like there's this moment where you have this realization of what, what's really going on. And enlightenment as a word is associated with Eastern philosophy. So I understand if, if I say the word enlightenment, if that's a trigger word that, that theologically or religiously is no good, we don't care about that so much. I don't care what the term is. Um, we think that, that enlightenment and repentance are basically the same word. Stacey and I I mean this is how we're operating Repentance is coming to your senses It's awakening It's opening your eyes I mean, And
1: we call it sometimes a new logic Or you can call it yeah. flip the switch It's you know just this It's all of a sudden You know you, A light comes on That you didn't fully Weren't able to see
0: But before. yeah So my answer to this question is I am surprised Having looked back Looking back over my life I don't remember much before I was six And I'm 46 or seven What am I? <laughs>
1: You're 46.
0: That's good news. So 46, just saved a year. It's kind of like, who's it fall forward or spring back? Or spring forward and fall, yay, I get an hour to sleep in. All right. So um, I never realized that no one really wanted me to have spiritual awakening. Mm. I started my journey in Christianity uncomfortable with the cultiness of some Pentecostals. I ran away from a school that wanted me to put my hands up in charismatic worship because I just wasn't feeling it. And so I gravitated towards people who weren't feeling it either. But what I didn't realize is there was almost a prohibition against waking up. And this makes me feel like in some context, in some Protestant contexts especially, um, people want you to be compliant. They don't want you to be aware. They don't want you to find peace and joy. And I am very happy that we have this question in there because i think this is one of the most important questions you should ask about your own relationships and um your church if you you might be in a bad relationship did you know there's sometimes that people are in bad relationships and one of the people wants to get well in terms of addiction and the other person doesn't want them to get well Mm -hmm. and if you find yourself in a religious community that doesn't want you to get well capital w capital e capital l l Go somewhere else. Yeah. Yep. So.
1: Well, and yeah, sometimes they want repeat customers, right?
0: They want, right, 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 right. I mean, I I would
1: say similarly even with therapists, right? There are times when there is a therapist that would like to bring you along and eventually not necessarily need to see you anymore, Mm -hmm. right? But there maybe are other ones that want to kind of keep you there lifelong. They might give you some medication or whatever and just enough to keep you, you know, Coming back for more, um, and and not not to say that you if you need a lifelong therapist or whatever that that's no, a yeah, problem. No, yeah, you should do. You should
0: find those people.
1: <laughs> but the ultimate goal would be that you don't need them, right? And if and if your therapist can never express that to you i think you might want to find a different therapist because i think you'll be uh supporting them or especially
0: especially gurus right like <laughs> yeah. you've got to find yeah. my system mm-hmm. my version of yoga mm-hmm. my yeah. my books you know i mean this is all all of the real bad cults are basically just hustles where they're saying i'm gonna you know I, i'm gonna take this thing that everybody knows about and i'm gonna i'm gonna patent it right what's your question what are you gonna give yourself there
1: Well, it says, think of a time when you have treated someone poorly and then honestly reflect on why you've acted in a way that you did toward that person. Can you discover the real reason for your behavior? And if that person is still living, consider apologizing for that behavior if you haven't already. I mean, I would say that, I mean, usually, any time that I have treated, especially anybody in our family poorly, even like during this time of covid (laughs) in our in our isolation or whatever um you know i think of you know where i i'm either you know again i we've mentioned this about banging dishes or that i get short-tempered or that you know you if you say a comment to me and i um you know just blow up right um i in those moments it's usually where I feel like my world at that moment is just out of control. Yeah. And that what I would do better to do is stop and, one, like, why do I need that control? You know? And what is out of control? What What is spiraling, right? Is there something that I can do, um, you know, to, to be able to address that issue? So I think sometimes um, with... I... I if I feel upset or if I feel angry, um, I feel like it's sometimes not an acceptable uh, behavior, and so I or stuff emotion. It, or emotion. That's what I mean. Sorry, behavior. Yeah, I could do a bad behavior that would be out of anger and that would not be okay. Um, but I feel like sometimes just having you know an, a, a, something that comes up and and it irks me, right? And I, I feel like I shouldn't have that emotion, and so because I'm not like willing to. I stuff it down and then instead it'll, you know, come with me, you know, like passive aggressively, you know, walking around the house or finding other things that I'm upset about because what I'm upset about isn't acceptable or, you know, or I don't think it's okay to be upset. And so where I do better at is to stop and try to figure out what is it that is upsetting and usually, um, like I said, it's, it's a lack of control, but also a lack of being able to voice uh, where maybe I have a legitimate thing that I'm upset about, but I have a lack of ability to bring that to words, in a, a, you know, with a person. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you know I, I'll either um, you know I'll, I'll I'm bad for it or something. Again, I, I allow shame to creep in there, mm-hmm. um, and so if I can recognize that I need to I need to have a conversation, mm-hmm. um, and all of this other behavior is just going to it's going to be like toxin, you know, mm. throughout the whole household. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, I get upset that people haven't, you know, sat down on a dinner that I was making, right? But there's just so many other things that are going on right now where we're we're all together like if we're making food all the time but we don't need to sit down and have every single meal together just because yeah. we're making eating food meals together makes more
0: sense when you've got an hour in between sleep and work right <laughs> and then you
1: want to check in with the family no the yeah. family
0: wants to kind of go to the room and watch a cartoon and kind of get and some I, space and, yeah. I, and we yeah. need to yeah. and
1: i need to respect And i'm not
0: even in this business of i need to respect yep.
1: that space right? right um but in in that moment, like, there's, you, you know, so I, there's all sorts of things where I need to, like, not assume what other people are doing. And if I think that there actually might be a problem and, and that they're avoiding me or something, it would be better for me to say, hey, did I offend you? You know, did I, you know, that kind of thing, um, rather than just, oh, They're terrible for, you know, for everybody wanting to go off in different directions or something like
0: that. And the key would be to be able to look at yourself with compassion just as you would look at somebody else with compassion so that you don't have to be defensive. And you can learn about, like, well, yeah, are people trying to get out of here because they're feeling uncomfortable?
1: And if they are, then I can work on that.
0: And you don't have to be ashamed about it. It's just a reality. Right. right? And so
1: I can then change my behavior, you know. um, Where have I, you know been in other people's business or not given them enough space or offended them in some way, you know, or whatever it is um, that I could deal with that. And sometimes having the conversation to figure out what is it if I don't know what it is. Because oftentimes there's so many times where there's just miscommunication, right? Mm-hmm. But it just gets out of control when we make assumptions.
0: And when we figure this out, when we when we give ourselves compassion, when we're compassionate about one, you know, one. To baby, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, thank you very much. That's <laughs> kind of and I'm, and I'm sorry for a thousand things. We'll get to it, but we uh, we want to say that you know we're not going to have all of the peace happen when we're up against these tight quarters, right? Yeah. So and then as we just offer a little bit of love, a little bit of compassion to ourselves and one another, then we can bring a little bit of peace into the world.
1: Yes, we are able to just be on that road where we can just dive just that little bit deeper to really tap into that deep peace upon peace. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends.
0: But he said there wasn't any leather. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.